I also would probably be a bad dad if I didn't acknowledge that my daughter Juniper's birthday was yesterday. June. She is an April Fool's baby, which for those of you that know her, know that that was a God deal. That she was born on April Fool's. It is the most perfect birthday for her. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we've got 30 minutes and I am tasked with covering wisdom and justice. Yeah, super quick, super easy, should be very uh, cut and dry, obviously not a hot topic, very simple, um, yeah, absolutely not. So, obviously, uh, this, is, this is a hard topic, actually, and I don't think I've actually come anywhere close to a landing spot uh, on, on it altogether. In fact, I, I think about this for a lot of things, and I would encourage you to do the same, that at age 36, I hope that as a 60 or 70 or, God wills it, 80-year-old, that I don't look back and think to myself, man, at 36, that was, I mean, I got it then. <laughs> that was it. I haven't changed my mind at all. Uh, I haven't thought anything different at all. Uh, that's not to say that revelation is always progressive, because I think many times we regress And what we know. Maybe what we knew before was actually closer to the truth than where we've come because we've allowed the world to cloud and influence our thinking on things. But I will say this is for all of the talk of it and justice and understanding it, and I and I say justice, I mean in the most broad sense possible, not just in some hot button topics of our culture's day and age, but rather in a much more universal sense, justice. What is it? And I say that as someone who's spent literally the last 15 years of my life both teaching and learning and trying to understand theology and sociology. Um, and so I'm, th- I'm pretty sure that's why Kale decided to give me this sermon, as he was like, you teach sociology, tell us about justice. And I'm like, oh, no. I'll say from the get-go, I don't have a position to ply. I hope that you're open to my thoughts as I am open to any of yours. And if you've got questions and thoughts afterwards, I would love to hear them. Love if you, if you think uh, I've said something in error or if you think that maybe my perspective needs shifting, I'm open to hearing from each and every one of you. And I hope that you'll just do the same for me in terms of trying to understand where I'm coming from. I assume that you are not like, ha, 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 I think something evil and I will try to trick him into something evil. Likewise, I hope that you assume the same for me. We're all doing the best we can with what we know. Some of us know less, some of us know more. And the scripture makes it really clear that those of us who know more should be kind to and gentle with those who know less and bear with one another rather than condemning one another. And if we differ on anything, and we will and we must, then we have not still found sufficient reason for us not to still be united in Christ. So unless you have just the perfect balance in these things, I hope that you who are team justice will be challenged to enact mercy. And I hope that those of you who are team mercy will be challenged to enact justice. Because, I don't know about you guys, but it seems hard to me to reconcile the fact that God is just and merciful, fully just, fully merciful. How can you do that? 
How can you be that? How can we make sense of that? And then how can we emulate that? If you've got answers on this, rethink what those answers might be. Because God is not a man, that he should think like a man and act like a man. And it's hard to become like God in these things. The Hebrew word for justice that's used over and over again most commonly in Scripture is mishpat. And it can refer to like a punishing vengeance kind of justice, but usually it's referring to something that, uh, that the rabbis would call restorative justice, which in America we are not extremely familiar with. We don't send people to prison to restore them most of the time. Nobody thinks... You'll go to prison, and there you're going to learn to change your ways, become a better person, a softer person, a kinder person. No, that is not how American justice works in many cases. And by the way, I I have to make sure that you know as a church, because I speak up here quite often, I am methodically and intentionally, deliberately not Republican or Democrat. I need you to know that about me so that you don't feel like I'm plying a position up here. So hopefully that might make you uh, like me less or be willing to listen to me more. I don't know. Whatever it does for you, I hope that you would understand that I chosen that because I think it's very hard to follow Jesus and find myself on either side of that aisle. I'd rather just be on Team Jesus. So that restorative justice has this this connotation of bringing people from wrong to right, from lost to found, from bad to good, etc. And it's tied up in the concept, and actually in the, the Hebrew etymology of words in general, that word justice is tied up in the concept of righteousness, which is not a concept we think very often about. But dumbed down, it is essentially just to be right with God and to be right with people that makes sense, to act in line with God's will and those two things. So that whenever we get to the New Testament and we start seeing the word justice in the Greek, there's even more nuance, and the word is even harder. It's dikaiusune. Say it with me, dikaiusune. Yeah, that's the word justice. And what it means is God's judicial approval or the approval of God, which refers to what is deemed right by the Lord after his examination. Or, in other words, what is approved in his eyes. So right off the bat, then, we have to examine whether our definition of justice is God's definition of justice. See if it's the same. Perhaps we'd do better to remove the word justice from our vocabulary entirely and replace it with a phrase, God's justice, or the justice of God. Because they're two different things when you look at the world's justice and God's justice. So that we can understand that there's only one real form of justice, and that is the justice that God shows and has. Correct? There's only one truth in the world. His name is Jesus. Only one truth. His justice alone has to become our definition of justice. One observation I have from my years of trying to understand it myself is that many Christians have adopted the world's understanding and definitions of justice quite wholesale. 
And that is significantly different than God's. Man's wisdom is not God's wisdom. In fact, man's wisdom is foolishness to God. And in many cases, man's foolishness is actually God's wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1 is an excellent uh, 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 exposition on that. So thinking of an example, I'm going to tell you a story and ask you what justice would look like. A married man who is an executive at a Fortune 500 company sees a woman in his company that he desperately wants to sleep with. She is beautiful. She is also married. He manages to use his position and his power to get her to sleep with him. Then, because he starts to really like this gal, he hires someone to kill her husband. What is the most just way to handle this man? Don't answer. Think about it. What's the most just way to handle this man? What's God's justice? Well, this is the story of King David. God's justice for King David was to send him a prophet, Nathan, who did something similar to what I just did and told a parable to which King David said, get this guy. And Nathan said, that guy is you. God confronted him. David repented in sackcloth and ashes. And it's David, a man after God's own heart. Does that mean then that for all men who do these kinds of things, we just got to give them a second chance, ladies? No, it doesn't. What it means is clearly my concept of justice is a little man's concept of justice. I'm serious. That's the best way I can think to put it. I'm just one little dude. What do I know of justice? The way that God knows justice. How could I read a person's heart the way God could read a person's heart? Right? It's perhaps more complex, perhaps less open to, uh, or rather, less open to oversimplification. But we like simplification. That makes things easy for us. We can dismiss things faster. We don't have to think about it as much. If we can just create some very clear, easy rules here. If you do this, then this should happen to you. If you act this way, you always should get this result. But God's wisdom is apparently different than our wisdom. And His justice different than our justice. Let's take a different example. Someone from our church, really good folks. Real good folks. They're real good folks. They're great. We love them. They're so great that they actually sold a house and gave some to the church. Gave some of that profit to the church. And you guys already know where I'm going. And they're like, this is what we got from it. And someone's like, all of it? And they're like, yep. And then they get struck dead by God. That's God's justice for them. That's Ananias and Sapphira. If you're not confused yet about the way God enacts justice, then please afterwards come tell me how. (laughs) Explain to me what you, mere mortal, know. (laughs) Golly. How is God's justice in the one case for David that he killed a guy? He committed adultery. And then for this other couple, they just lied about how much money they got for something. 
What is just? Is it something outside of my understanding? In other words, it may just be more complicated than we like to think of it. Perhaps our wisdom and God's wisdom vary greatly, especially in relation to knowing the answer to the question, what is justice in the first place? I may want to see the killer killed, as the law says. I may want to see the woman in adultery stoned, as the law says. And I may want the man who claims to be God, a blasphemer, killed, as the law says. But you can see how in each one of those scenarios, I may very clearly be in the wrong in regards to justice. So let's approach this question, this concept with humility and with many asking of questions rather than with a prideful spirit or even worse, a destructive spirit. The question is, what is it all about? What is everything about here? Why justice? Why are we even concerned with justice? The answer is clearly because humans sin. Is that right? The problem here is people, because of darkness within them, love the darkness more than the light, and so they engage in sinful behaviors. They themselves become objects of the enemy's use. Is that the case, right? We wouldn't need to worry about justice if there was no sin, right? We would not have any need to worry about it. It's the problem of human sin that we're butting up against. People do evil things and they wreak havoc in the world. They kill, they lie, they oppress, they steal. They do evil and thus become evil. The question becomes, what does God tell us is the nature of the problem of evil and the solution to the problem of evil? That is the question. What does God tell us is the nature of the problem of evil and the solution to the problem of evil? And I only have two points. I'm sticking to what I think I might know. (laughs) Number one, God cares tremendously about justice. And we should be thankful for that. Because I don't know about you, but no. There are people who have done what they've done, who have died without God, and who have committed great evil, wicked acts in the world. And my hope as a Christian is that God would judge those people and find them guilty and enact ultimate justice on them. That is my hope. If you think that's wrong, go read the Old Testament. In a single psalm, you'll hear, you know, the psalmist or David saying, God, you're so good. I love you so much. Kill all my enemies. (laughs) Father, you're, you're amazing. You've created the cosmos. Cut the heads off of the men who commit evil in the world. And that's not a bad thing. To want justice is not bad. It is good. There's something about it that's actually very much godly. God wants justice. But we have to start at the fact that every human, every human is made in the image of God. They are image bearers, God's children, good, bad, rich, poor, people you agree with, people that you don't. Even the people that you see on social media that you tend to dehumanize, even the political leaders that you dehumanize, that is an image bearer. Even the uh, telemarketer that you speak to, also image bearer. 
every human an image bearer. This was the most radical concept in the history of the ancient world. That every person is equal, even though the deists who wrote the Constitution assented to that. They showed by their actions they didn't believe it. The Judeo-Christian worldview has been that from the get-go. That every person has the same value before God because every person is a child of God. And thus he takes how we treat people very, very personally. In Matthew, you have Jesus telling the parable, whatever you did to the least of these, you also did for me. And they say, when did we see you sick and in prison and come and visit you and all this kind of stuff? And he says, whatever you did for them, you did for me. Whatever you didn't do for them, you didn't do for me. How you treat each person in this room is the exact way Jesus feels like you're treating him. How you treat people that you interact with via the internet or at work or as you go about the day. Do you ignore Jesus when he serves you at Whataburger? Do you berate Jesus when he disagrees, you on, disagrees with you on the internet? What way do you treat Jesus? If you want to know the way Jesus feels like you treat him, ask the way, how do you treat people? That's the way you treat Jesus. And that is bad news for many of us. And we've got some thinking to do then. But God despises evil. He hates unequal measures. The ideas and the practices that dehumanize people. That we have so many children right now, this moment, who are starving and poor and pitiful and lost. That people still hate one another. Man, I wish I could pretty cry. (laughs) I've only got one gear when it comes to crying. It goes from zero to fifth real fast. First to fifth, rather. There's no zero gear. (laughs) Idiot. (laughs) God hates injustice. That some would be so wealthy and others would be so poor that the wealthy would care nothing to help. That, they, that, 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 that's their child as much as it is his. That's their brother. That people would treat people with such, such cavalier, careless unfairness. It makes God so sad, but it makes God so angry. Man, I love the prophets. I love the prophets for this reason. For whatever reason, my, my, my men's small group has really been into the prophets as well. And so we went from Revelation to Daniel to Hosea. Just talk about a rough track. <laughs> They're like, let's pick the hardest ones. I'm like, all right. And when I look at Daniel and I look at Hosea and I'm thinking about it, like God feels so hurt by Israel's abandoning of him. He feels so hurt by their repetitive choice to not follow him and to love evil. God is so hurt by injustice in the world. He hates it as well. One major issue that he had with Israel 
is that they would not uphold justice in their land. Instead, they created social orders that oppressed some and elevated others. Isaiah 1, 16 and 17 says, Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. God's coming kingdom has no place for injustice and heaven will be free of it entirely. Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, God wants us to be agents of His justice in this world. So when we see the oppressed, we help them. We use our voice to call out evil and to stand for good. Thank God that He is just. If He wasn't, what hope would we have that all the wrongs in the cosmos will ultimately be put to the right? And thank God for His judgment. He's not simply letting everything slide. He cares too much for that. We will have to answer for everything we have done and thank God for Jesus who will be our only plea before the judgment seat. So yes, God certainly cares about justice and yes, He wants us to be in on that fight as well. Where I usually find myself at odds with other believers is how we fight. How we go about getting justice. If you want a worldly kind of justice, then do it in worldly kinds of ways. If you want a godly kind of justice, then you go about it in a godly kind of way. And that's my second and last point. The ultimate expression of God's justice is the gospel. The ultimate expression of God's justice is the gospel. And do not forget the umbrella overarching point here in general. Wisdom alone is in Jesus and the ultimate act of wisdom in the cosmos, the ultimate act of justice in the cosmos and of grace in the cosmos at the same time is the cross. That is where it is. God's ultimate answer to the problem of human sin is the cross. He became a man, took on our guilt, was punished and killed for our sins, and rose from the dead and freed us from captivity to our own sin and unrighteousness. And that is good friggin' news. See, a part of our problem here is our difficulty grasping this just and merciful God. How can He be both? The Lord cares about justice because He cares deeply about people, though. And that's why, as James says in James 2.13, mercy triumphs over judgment. That Hebrew word mishpat is actually translated justice and more oftentimes judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What that does not say is God does not care about justice. What it says is mercy, both God's mercy to us and our mercy to others. Mercy meaning undeserved gift is what ultimately will affect God's justice in the cosmos. Perhaps where some go wrong with justice is that they think they can accomplish it without loving people or loving only some people. But if your justice doesn't care about all people, yes, even your enemies, 
then your justice is not like God's. If it doesn't hope for restoration instead of focusing on vengeance, it is not like God's. I'm struck, speaking of random prophets that my group wanted to read, Jonah. Jonah's story is one that's always struck me. I'm like, do you not know that you're dealing with God? Like, he just treats God like an annoying friend at his door. And he gets the consequences of that. If you don't know the story, Jonah goes to God, or sorry, God goes to Jonah and says, hey, I need you to preach some doom and gloom in Nineveh because those people are messed up. They're doing evil, okay? So go and preach and tell them that I'm going to bring all of Nineveh to ruin. Jonah says no, gets put in the fish's mouth, then he's like, all right, fine, goes and does it. And then God, because Nineveh repents in sackcloth and ashes, you'd think Jonah would be like, sweet. Jonah gets mad about the whole thing. He gets so mad. He's like, what? You're supposed to destroy these idiots. What are you doing? And God asks Jonah something really interesting, and I love it. God says to Jonah, asks him, he goes, is it right for you to be angry? Whew. I'm like, dang, is it right for you to be angry? And it reminds me of the danger of wanting justice. And what I mean by wanting justice is vengeance. I don't want that person to repent. I want them to feel pain, the same pain that they inflicted on others. I will admit that same feeling. Of course. Do you think I, when I see someone commit evil, I'm like, man, I just hope the best for them. No, like the rest of you, I, in my, in my flesh, want them to feel the pain they caused to others. I want them to feel that the same way they caused it. But that is not God's heart. He wishes for others to repent. We wish to hold it over others' heads. The failure to discern our own failure And what justice would look like if God was just with us is at the heart of the problem. The very same justice that we pursue, if if God were to pursue that with us, we would all be condemned. Thank God he doesn't share our definition of justice in his dealings with us. Because any desire to enact justice must be based in God's goodness and mercy to us, not our own goodness. Romans 12, 17 through 21 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We can't be so tied up being angry at the oppressor that we forget to help the oppressed to their feet. And that's what ends up happening. And I have to point out, as a sociologist, there is a significant, significant difference between the movement led by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and today's movement. His was the tip of the spear was the gospel and love. 
And yes, he said, we demand fair treatment right now, but he did so with the love and the grace of God. There's no doubt about it. Today, it is bitterness that drives it. Bitterness that's driving it. We're asking for the same things. We're doing it without any grace, as if we are not guilty ourselves. The most godly approach I can envision is that we would be people who are furious at the way the poor, the weak, the different, minorities, and all else are treated. That we would recognize the problem of human sin and the enemy's lies, and that it would drive us to look after those people in the many ways that we have available to us. But that it would also drive us to pray for the oppressor, to bless our enemies, and not to curse. To stand up to them in love and in boldness, but with grace enough to say, I am the worst sinner that I know. Change your mind and your ways and be reconciled to God because he loves you. I was thinking about this the other day, and I, I uh, was studying the Bible with a guy last week, and we talked about the Zacchaeus story, which is kind of like the, the consummate kid's story, I feel like, for whatever reason. But this is not a kid's story. Zacchaeus was an evil man. He was a tax collector who stole from God's people. And he worked with Rome to do so. And he explicitly says basically that he's stolen people's money as a result of doing that kind of stuff. This was an oppressor. This was an evil man who committed all kinds of injustice. And yet he decides to repent. One of the last things I want to do is I want to share with you guys a a recording of my son telling the Zacchaeus story. So... Zach and I trade off, or sorry, Zach. <laughs> Zach, he is, <laughs> uh, Jack and I trade off telling each other stories every other night. Sometimes we pick Bible stories, sometimes we make up stories. And um, so Jack will tell a story and I'll record it sometimes, okay? So this was Jack's telling of the story of Zacchaeus, and then we're going to wrap up right after that, okay? So let's go ahead and play that if we can. It's about two minutes long, so just hang in there. He's a stutterer. He's five. Okay, one time there was a little short guy named Zacchaeus. He liked to steal people's money, and that was not good. So, and then Jesus was walking in town, and then everybody wanted to see Jesus. But Zacchaeus couldn't because he was a short man. And then the people, then Zacchaeus said, Can you let me, can I walk in to see Jesus? And then he, and then the people been mean to Zacchaeus. He said, no, you're a, you're a bad guy. So Zacchaeus climbed into a tree. And he climbed higher and higher, higher so he could, then he could reach then he was higher than Jesus. That's me. And then, and then Jesus said, "Saul Zacchaeus," and he, and Jesus said, "Come, Zacchaeus, come down, climb down that tree. People, let him walk to me." And then, and and then Jesus. And then the people let Zacchaeus walk by next to Jesus to 
sees Jesus and Jesus said, I will, I will stay to, at your house for dinner tonight. And then all the people said, what? But he's a bad guy. He steals people's money. Why did you do that? And just said, even though he's a bad guy, I still love him. Yeah. Yeah, so I think he captures the indignation really well. Like better than I would. He's not reading off anything. That's just what he remembers from, I don't know. I didn't teach him that story. So, what? He's a bad guy. He still needs people's money. What are you doing? Do you say, yeah, he's a bad guy. I still love him. People are broken. All people are broken. We should care desperately for the oppressed, desperately for those who are mistreated by others and by society. We desperately really, really should. But all people deserve a chance at redemption. We've got to figure out how to give a message that's both. How can we figure out how to demand justice now and also to do so from a place of mercy I don't know. But I know that I grapple with it. And I know that it makes me ask God more often than not what it is that He wants, rather than thinking I've got a real clear vision of exactly how to do that. My final word here is this. God uses His people to enact the gospel in various ways to bring about justice. Let's be humble enough to accept one another. If, prayer, if after prayer and consideration you decide that political action is the key, do so, but do not think that it's your only avenue to bring justice. And do not become so prideful that you believe your own way to be best. If after prayer and consideration you decide to refrain from political action, opting to bring justice in other ways, like giving your money places, serving, making relationships, be diligent and do not think that simply because injustice is not under your nose daily that it doesn't exist, and that you don't have work to do. And do not become so prideful that you believe your own way is best. Let's be a community that cares deeply about God's justice and enacting it in a world the same way that Jesus did with the gospel. And let's be thoughtful about it, doing our very best to understand what it is that God wants from us. I'm going to say a prayer for us and dismiss us. God, you are so good to us. I pray that you would light a passion in our hearts to bring about the kind of justice you want, Father, but that you would also help us to do so somehow with the spirit of love and mercy. God, that we would be bold and that we would demand people be treated as image bearers, but that we would do so with your love in our hearts, Father, and with grace and with mercy. And with fear and with trembling, Father, and with humility, help us to listen to your Spirit. Help us to stop making simple rules and simple ways of thinking of the world. And instead, help us to fall on our knees and beg that you show us how. How, Father? How are we supposed to do this? We love you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great Sunday. Go in peace.